right, should we start? Go for it. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to uh, this week's podcast. Uh, Doug here with Peter. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Doug. And uh, this is your pick this week. Uh, this is uh, District 9 by Neil Blomkamp, 2009, I believe. 2009. Why'd you pick he this was- one? I think this is probably the best science fiction movie to come out in years. Wow, I really fighting like, words. I forgot how good this movie was until I saw it again this time. It's great. You know, I I saw it twice in the theater and once on video. I think all in 2009, but I don't think that I saw this since until I rewatched it for the podcast this week. Yeah, this is uh I think this is a real winner. I I think that uh I mean, so the director is Neil Bloomkamp. Um, Blomkamp? Who, Bloomkamp? I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if you pre- which way you pronounce it. To be honest with you, I don't know. Um, but he's a South African uh, director who, prior to this, had made short films and made kind of commercial work, right? Not not features, right? And he, I read that he never planned to be a director. He wanted to do visual and practical effects, like that was his goal. Really, he did it in this movie, um, <laughs> really well. But uh, so, so he made uh, he made this movie was it was made in in South Africa and I guess in studios in New Zealand based on the the credits at the end. It was made for thirty million dollar budget, which is made, nothing. Right, nothing. looks unbelievably good. Um, especially given the the price. I mean this this thing looks better than some movies that were a hundred plus million. And and there's a lot you can there's a lot of care went into this. Yeah, I think that's this, part of it too. Is like, you know, this is Blom. I'm going to say Blomquist, but uh, I mean, this is his Blomkamp. Sorry, Blom. This is his calling card. You know what I'm saying? Like he really he put a lot into this. Man, he yeah, he really he swung for the fences and he succeeded. To me, you know what I was thinking about. Um, to su- sort of sum up my opinion of the movie in the beginning. Um, I know it's, you know, summary, whatever, beginning, a little weird. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of, if you take this, Paul Verhoeven is sort of similar, right? It's, there's sort of a humorous element. It's, uh, there, right. there's a lot there's of a action. There's a violent element. There's a gross out element. Right. There's a little so, bit of, there's a little body horror thrown in. Right. So, so it's not like this is all new territory. Um, but to me, it's, it's, if you take, you take that genre and you take Paul Verhoeven and make it and, and improve little, on him. Well, and there's some really Scott you in here. Right. There's sure. a little Paul Verhoeven. There's some Ridley Scott. Uh, who else is kind of thrown in there? Um, I mean, because well, it does all... remind you of some other stuff. Oh yeah, but I think you know it's it's like if you make you know Paul there's, there's Over... some Jim Cameron in here too. Yeah, there's a little there's a little Terminator and Terminator Two in here. Yeah, I mean any any sci-fi action film that's well made, you know, I'm sure he learned how to do that by watching them. But you know, sort of conceptually and in terms of the feel of the movie the emotional impact of the movie it has a uh, it has an impact that to me is is stronger and um better than 
Paul Verhoeven, but in the same vein. So to me, it's sort of, you know, it's if Paul Verhoeven were optimized, you know, if you took him and improved him, this is what you'd get. <laughs> sorry, I mean, Paul. It, if you're listening, Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> sorry. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's because this movie's not just kind of gross with jokes and wink, wink. This movie no. is, it has a depth to it that. And uh, right, is it's, it's truly not Sharon dramatic. Stone delivering one-liners with Arnie, right? You know, and and he he occasionally he made his point. You know, like RoboCop made his it made its it made its point. But at the same time, there's a certain leering kind of like um, voyeuristic side to it that this movie doesn't have. This movie throws things out at you visually and conceptually. There's no leering. There's no. It's more cinema verite, right? You're sort and, of you're running along in amongst the mix and the dust and the mud, right? And and you know the the characters are well, especially well. There's really only two characters that are that are real characters, right? Right. Vicus so one and is, Christopher, right? And so Vicus the is the human uh, and the alien. The main character, who's played by Charlotte Copley, who this was his first acting role. I guess he's a friend of uh, Blomkamp's. Yeah, I think they were childhood friends, and he's in the short that this is based off of. Right, but uh, not an actor at least till this oh. point. And uh, he he plays a character who about probably eighty percent of the movie is is not very likable. He's kind of a schmuck. He's not very bright. He he. Fall, he doesn't just redeem himself once. He then falls back and acts like sort of a coward and a self-centered guy again, and then redeems himself again. And um, very believable guy. And the other character is is Christopher, the alien. Um, the even the fact that he's named what's his last name? It's like Christopher Jones or what's his name? No, it's Christopher something Johnson, I think. Right, like, like some Johnson. generic name that some bureaucrat gave him. <laughs> right. Even that is incredibly insulting. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, just the fact that every time he calls him Christopher, you think like, what? It's it's <laughs> so it's so incongruous. But Christopher, who, by the way, is a CGI effect, is like, you know, a great supporting actor, even though he's CGI. And, but, you know, it's funny because, like, Christopher makes you realize that you know, like he's everything that George Lucas hoped Jar Jar would be and wasn't. You know, like like he's interesting and fully CGI and fully animated and completely believable. Like he's everything Jar Jar really like was supposed to be and completely and utterly failed to do. Like you you walked out of this movie really admiring Christopher, and you walked out of Phantom Menace wanting to murder Jar Jar. I mean, this movie makes George Lucas look so incompetent. <laughs> that you can't even, I can't even fathom. Except that maybe you know, look, he's right. I mean, he made a he made billions of dollars with those movies, and this movie was successful. But this movie's not targeted at twelve year olds who want to go buy toys. Even though I'm sure they could have done that, and sold toys based on this movie as well. Yeah, I don't remember any prawn action figures, but there could be, and you know, they could probably they could do a commercial sequel to this movie if they they desired. Although it's been eight years. I mean, granted, you know, Blade Runner 2049 is coming out, you know, in a month or so, 34, 4, 35 years after the first. So you could always have a second one. But my suspicion is Blomkamp has moved on. I think you know? so. But I don't know. I like I, the, uh, one I of the things that always impressed me about this movie is, is the choices that they made. Like they didn't give in to the easy 
choices. And for example, I think like to set the movie, you know, 25 or 28 years, whatever it is, after the aliens have arrived is really interesting. Like, you know, you like movies always focus on the arrival scene, the first contact scene, you know. I mean, how many movies have you seen first contact in? and they never show it here. And the right. the arrival of the aliens is is not a good thing. It's a burden, right? It mm-hmm. it's bad. Like it's like the interviews with the local South African people, like, you know, by and large, they don't like having the prawns there. Like, it's it's not comfortable. Like, they don't like it. And, you know, there's there's sort of an implication that maybe these, you know, these uh, these aren't the pick of the litter from the prawn home world either. Um, I think that's a great, great idea. And I think the best idea in the whole movie, I think, is that the prawns are not attractive, You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, they're not appealing physically. Like, most movies, right? Like, when you want the the viewer to like the alien, you make them... Yeah, E.T. Or, like, to me, what the classic is Avatar, right? Like, they look so appealing, you know, like the... the, I think the Navi, they're called, you know, like, with their giant eyes and their humanoid faces and their perfect bodies. Like, you, I kind of want to hang out with the Navi. Like, you could see why, you know, everybody wants to be with the Navi. But, like, like the prawns are kind of, like, they're repulsive and you kind of get the sense that like they have a weird smell, you know, and their language isn't appealing, you know, like, like that's really, really a daring move because the whole movie hinges on the fact that you're going to feel sympathy for them in their circumstance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you've got to get over their appearance first. And, you know, he, he plays up not just their appearance, but the fact that they live in squalor, they're eating the raw meat, you know, the burrowing through trash. Like they're, the first half an hour, they are presented in such an incredibly unappealing and undesirable manner. And, you know, and by the end of the movie, you are cheering on the prawns. Like the mm-hmm. fact that he makes you do that is, it's almost like they pulled a little trick over the audience and got away with it. It's tremendous because whether disregarding the fact it's a science fiction movie to get you to identify with both sides of sort of a racist or, you know, inherent emotional um, stereotypes and um, racist feelings and even any two sides of a conflict at all, just to get you to to understand um, two sides to some extent and also come to some realization of what appropriate behavior should be, which all this movie does all those things, that is almost impossible to pull off, I think, in any Let alone any in film. two hours. Right. I mean, you know, that that's kind of what, uh, um, uh, you know, Ken Burns, the PBS, doc, you know, Civil War right, documentarian, documentarian of every... American. I think he's war. doing Vietnam next. Yeah, it's he is coming out soon. But you know, he he pulls that off, and it takes him like forty nine hours of of, of <laughs> per right. war, and and it takes him like seventeen years to make each one. To make one. And his so budget, I, by the obviously, way, his oh, budget's like instead of uh, you know this movie was thirty million. I think his budget has actually increased up to about thirty thousand. At this point. Oh, Ken Burns. So, yeah, Ken Burns. He started at like three hundred dollars, and he's up to about thirty thousand. <laughs> right. He needs a camera to take a photograph of the still images he found in a suitcase at a yard sale. Um, 
You know, I uh, obviously I'm not South African and neither are you, but I uh, I work with a South African woman. And when this came out, I commented on it to her. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like in humor and winks and nods that completely bypassed me in this movie. And for example, the fact that his name is Vandemer Vickis, like yeah. that's kind of like wink, wink for doofus, like uh. like culturally. Vendemer, she said to me that that sort of implies like like bumbling middle manager. So like so like to me that was completely lost on me. Like I couldn't even barely understand his name. Um, mm-hmm. But but that was a sort of like you know to let the audience know that this is a, a, someone not to be taken seriously at least when the film starts. And again, he's sort of he's sort of portrayed as you know. He's portrayed very negatively, like in the opening scene, like in the eviction scene. You know, he's sort of like this, you know, bureaucrat or sort of functionary person. And he's sort of, he's not particularly kind to the prawns as he's trying to. He has no insight. Yeah. Well, and he's sort of and being, he's sort he's of cruel. being like, well, and sort of like casually cruel. Like he's trying yeah. to sort of make light of stuff on the camera and look good for whoever's watching. And he you know, unplugs like he comes the off. babies. You know, like there's that scene with the nursery and he unplugs. <laughs> and he's like, and now the little guy is going to sleep. Oh, he's just going to have a nice little nap. And then we pull him out and he, he pulls out, you know, and he's, and you know, you know exactly what's happening in that scene. Like, look how casually he's murdering the, you know, like these little babies. Uh, well, and the way that them. they sort of talk to them, you know, when they knock on their doors. Right. You know, it's incredibly condescending. Correct. I kept wondering how he got that wife. She is beautiful. Like, how did that doofus land her? Well, I know. Well, there's a lot of things that are the movie drops you in the middle of a lot of stuff, right? right. Well, right, as we talked about, but but I, yeah. I was I was definitely wondering how he managed to pull that off because she's presented in a very sort of sympathetic and genuine manner. You know, maybe a little naive the way that her father sort of like is able to pull a wool over her eyes repeatedly. She doesn't seem like the sharpest tool either. You know, no, like both of no, them, but of them. she doesn't. But she doesn't come off as sort of awful like he does. Sorry about the, uh, the siren. No, that's okay. <laughs> well, you live in <laughs> District Ten, so you know I, we expect. Some I know. Sirens. I got. I'm expecting a cat food delivery in about ten minutes. By the way, I might have to pause. Getting kind of hungry. Fancy feast. Mm, <laughs> food. Um, you know, the other thing is the effects for 30 million look terrific. And the, the effects CGI look is different. Incredible. The guns look different. Like the alien technology looks like alien technology. You know, like the way the gun sort of has a sort of circular ring of fire that's sort of spinning at the end of it. Or the the way that the ship interfaces uh, with the prawns or when he has to get into the mecha suit, you know, like it looks genuinely like it's not designed for a person. Well, what's even more amazing is how good the aliens look because the aliens are, I think they're a hundred percent CGI. Yeah. The only non CGI aliens in the whole movie are the dead bodies on the table when he's, uh, right. testing the weapon in the lab. Everything else is CGI. And I believe that the guy who plays Christopher, he's every alien. Like I think he, yeah. I think he embodied every alien. They motion of, captured him. Yeah, or how they did it. So I, and that you could that makes sense too because a it saved them money and b it gave the aliens a sort of like similar type of walk. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That we didn't have two different guys walking differently. But you know how they how they get it to look so great with, with especially with, with nothing. that kind of money. I don't know yeah, who made it. Nothing. I mean, I think it wasn't it Weta. 
Wasn't it Weta? I think it was Weta Effects. I'm pretty sure. Um, W-E-T-A. I'm pretty sure I, it was Weta. I, I think it's, uh, yes, it's Weta Workshop. Yeah. Who've and gone uh, on the aliens. Do- they did the aliens. The design was uh, Image Engine, apparently. But that is, I mean, you know, there God, there's so many movies that... Uh, um, that, that have way more money and way more resources and they can't get people or aliens to look that good. And, and, and look that different and original. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, the, uh, I saw this, I remember just coming out of it and being really excited. When like, did all the Star you, Wars remix come, the, you know, the, the Star Wars sequels, like when did the last, did the last one come out around 2009? Uh, Whatever well, the third of the six. No, that was know, even before earlier. then. Yeah, that's more like 2004 or something. Because I saw that uh, many. I remember where I was, and that wasn't where I'm living now. Did you ever? Have you seen? By the way, have you seen Alive in Joburg that this is based off of? I didn't see the short. No, it's pretty good. Like I, I haven't. I didn't watch it for this podcast, but I watched it when the movie came out on YouTube, and it's about ten or fifteen minutes long, and it has pretty much. All, like many of the same ideas. It doesn't really have a story per se. It's, it combines some documentary sort of footage type interviews with um, some scenes of the humans running around in South Africa, sort of dealing with people using alien technology. Um, so you, I mean, you could see why Peter Jackson was Im- impressed with him and wanted to give him something big to do. So he was, I guess right. the deal was he was supposed to do the Halo movie, and then the right. Halo movie fell through, and then Peter Jackson gave him $30 million and said, make whatever you want. Right. I think some of the, the weaponry might come from Halo. Like, some of the – some of the, the they use some of the props or some of the stuff they had designed. Yeah, I don't – you know, I don't – that's a good point. I don't know the answer to that. Um, did you read about the Nigerian wrinkle? Yeah, they, they banned the movie, apparently. Yeah, they felt that the portrayal of the Nigerians was, like – just too unsympathetic. <laughs> I mean, like maybe cannibals maybe, and gangsters. I mean, maybe it's a little unsympathetic, but the only sympathetic people in this movie are the aliens, especially Christopher. Like the, every human looks bad, right? Except for essentially, except for his wife and for for Vickers at the end of the movie. And again, the very like, end. Yeah, the last twenty thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, like there's that sort of built in kind of wink, wink, like the more alien Wickus becomes, <laughs> the more human he more, is. Right. Right. Like yep. he finds his humanity as he loses it. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I have to tell you, and again, I, I like this movie and I'm going to flip something over a little bit. I, I mean, I saw this, this was a movie that I saw and then I went back and saw again in pretty short order. I think I might even have it on DVD somewhere here. Um, but, you know, Neil Blomkamp has not any come anywhere come close to matching this. And for example, um, Elysium is terrible. Have you seen Elysium? I saw it in the theater. I, I it's probably... the Cloudminders. Yeah, it's literally I, I, I have the Cloudminders from Star Trek: The Original Series. I have to see it again, and it was it had from what I remember, it was disappointing. It had some good things, but but basically was was relatively disappointing. Although Chappie, I think was was widely was much better. I saw Chappie once uh, a while back. Ch- I I could not get through Chappie. 
Chappie's I, I mean, hard to I, watch, but it's pretty good. I disagree with you. I thought Chappie was awful. Uh, I was so like Elysium kind of pissed me off. Like if I was, I don't know if I know Roddenberry's dead. I don't know if Margaret Armin's still alive, but Roddenberry and Margaret Armin right, wrote the Cloudminders, and I mean Elysium is just—it's like a wholesale steal. Mm-hmm. of the cloud minders but so that kind of like pissed me off and i thought it was worse like like a you know the star trek episode did more in you know 48 minutes than elysium and did in two hours and in a much less offensive manner um and then when chappy came i thought all right let's let's give let's give him another shot and i man i could not get anywhere at all with chappy and i ended up sort of like kind of like jumping forward 10 or 15 minutes at a shot to just sort of get to the end. And I probably, I probably ended up watching about 60% of it, but it was, it was so unappealing. And like, there wasn't one character in that movie that I liked. I didn't even like Chappie. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't really care about Chappie. Like, and you know, the problem too is, you know, Elysium and Chappie looked a lot like district nine, like, like, there wasn't a sense that he was growing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I kind of got the sense he was using the same people and kind of just doing something a little bit different. Like, it was too similar. Like, he needs to make a rom-com now. Like, he do something different. You know what I'm saying? Make uh-huh. a movie for a lifetime. I don't know. Like, he can't just keep making these same movies where everything is filthy and crap and shit and there's a few privileged people who are evil. Like, you can't do that again and again and again. I don't know. There's plenty of directors that work in a genre and maybe that's his... I mean, I look at know, look, Martin Scorsese. Right, but right, but Martin Scorsese is making good movies. But but I mean, he's going down, down. I mean, he's made some shorts. Like for example, have you seen Firebase? No. Like you he's mean made shorts couple, recently? Yeah, he's made a couple of short movies over the past couple of years. And like for example, he recently uh, I mean, made Firebase, which is I don't know a year or two old, which is about um, sort of extraterrestrials and a little bit of time travel in the Vietnam War. So it sort of takes place during the Vietnam War. It's about half an hour long, and it's on YouTube. It's actually pretty good, like like because it's really more a horror movie than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that could easily be expanded to a full length movie. And the right. fact that well, it's not taking place in South Africa and it's taking place in the '60s, like it kind of forces him to do something a little bit different and make it look a little different and feel a little bit different. Well, you know, Scorsese took him a long time to make anything besides gangster movies in New York. Uh, and, you know, yeah, Woody although, Allen, Woody Allen, you know, I mean, there, there, there are genre directors. I, I think yeah, that's okay. I'm not saying it's wrong to be a genre director, but I'm saying that Elysium and Chappie looked and felt way too much like District 9, without any of the fun and innovation and, and like, sort of novel aspects. Yeah, Chappie was, was extremely grim. Yeah. Um, Chappie's but, a much that, different ugh. movie than, than Elysium, especially. But, but Chappie's tough. I mean, it's, it's really not, uh, I mean, it is a tragic movie with very unpleasant characters, and... Um, Did Chappie make any money? I don't even know. I don't think so. I think Chappie was was uh, poorly received in Well, general. in all fairness, as it should have been. I think it got, it was war. I think it should have gotten a little more credit than it did. I, I mean, <laughs> I got to see it again. I, I, I don't remember that. 
I don't remember it all, but I remember it. So as- it made a hundred million on a forty-nine million budget, which is it's. I guess I guess it's not a bomb, but it's certainly they probably after what they put into it for marketing, it probably came close to breaking even. Probably. I don't know. But- Ooh. It was, it was it was a tough one to watch. That's why I, I probably didn't do that well because uh, it was hard. It was it, it's unpleasant to watch. I mean, again, sometimes it also, it also shows you that, like you know, maybe the mark of a good director is that they can swim in different waters. You know what I'm saying? Like the same mm-hmm. guy again to to turn like to like the same guy who made the Terminator, right? And Aliens also made Titanic. You know, like that's hard to do. You know, and he was successful. Again, I mean, Cameron's not the definitive director, but, you know, or look at a Kubrick or a Spielberg or, I don't know, even a lesser director. You know, I'm just saying, like, like you got to have some depth. Otherwise, you'll very, very quickly get pinholed, pigeonholed. Sure. Um, But look, you know, this, obviously, Neil uh, Blomkamp He's not going to turn around and make um, the Smurfs, uh, you know, return to Sunshineville. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that's the only Smurfs I was going to say. I'm, that, I'm really interested to see that one. Yeah, I know, but um, you know, he's not. He's not, and he's. I don't think the guy's going to make a romantic comedy. Maybe he would, but I, I think it's great that the, that a, a guy who makes um, very atypical movies with that are occasionally unpleasant to watch can make anything at all can get things released especially in science fiction um and you know where it does take some budget and you can't just do a a drama in a shoebox kind of film you know and you know elysium it seems like he reached for the big um multiplex type picture well, and he had Matt Damon. He had a real right. sort of, you know, he had a real A-list star. Right. So they they were reaching for it, and and in District Nine, by the way, there's there's no one you've ever seen anywhere in this. But movie. you know that that was kind of part of what made District Nine good too, is that they great. all looked different. They didn't look like or feel like people we had seen before. Uh, it's terrific, you know. And I I like the fact that their accents were, you know, like their accents sounded more alien than the prawn speak to me mm-hmm. you know like there were some lines where they spoke so quickly i had trouble following because their accents were so thick mm. well. i mean i don't know so i'm like, i'm not trying to like you know piss all over neil blomkamp i mean i think this is a terrific film but i will not lie to you like his the two big r- releases he had since i really looked forward to and did not like so you know like he's only going to get so many chances both from audience members and hollywood like you know he has a couple of bombs in a row you know they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna roll up the sidewalk on him right so i'm not sure you know from his standpoint it's it's still there's, there's still the same dilemma right it's tough to make good movies so does he stay really small and and make small sci-fi films which is hard to do or or go into another genre and make small films should he try to tread the line where you make a big commercial movie that's still good and maybe still has some bite which seems to be his specialty um it's tough it is tough but again, his choices in this movie, like I keep coming back to this because it's kind of my central premise, like his choices are all good. Like he doesn't make a misstep in this movie. And you know, a lot of directors would have given this 
a much easier ending. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like they would have had, you know, Vickis somehow be vindicated or turn into a human again or, you know, like there's none of that. And then Christopher leads with no, no clear, you know, time frame for if and when he will ever return. No, you kind of believe him, I have to say. I but, See, I don't know. Like, I kind of get the impression that Christopher would say or do anything to get the hell out of there. And I think he means well, but maybe mm-hmm. it takes 20 years to get where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe, you know, traveling at some sort of relativistic speed, you know, by the time they could actually go somewhere, rally some forces and come back, 50 years on Earth. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, Christopher's, you know, like, he has his own motives and his own agenda. Like, he's got to go. And you don't even know where he's going. Is he going to get help? Is he going, you know, like, where is he going? He's basically going, yes, he's going to get resources and help to come back to rescue his buddies. The prawns. Right. And, you know, obviously, and they they don't spoon feed you this stuff. You know, the, the only spoon feeding this movie is the way they framed it in a, they framed it with uh the uh, documentarian style, right? So they have all those mixed, mixed in interviews to frame the story. Well, and, and they're they're good too because they give you they give you the the viewer the context you need without having you know Vicus without say spoon it. feeding, right? And right. they don't and they don't deliver it to you really in a spoon fed way, but uh, but basically, you know, they don't spoon feed you the the social or militaristic organization of, of the aliens. And you don't even really ever know why the aliens are there and what their motivation is. Or how they got there, or even if it's their ship, you know, like, like some of them don't seem particularly sophisticated. Like it's unclear. Like, were they, were they the crew? Were they the cargo? Were they slaves? Like, you don't know. You never know. Well, that's the thing. I think what they kind of, what they kind of say without spoon feeding you is that, Christopher is one, maybe the only one, but certainly one of sort of a very few kind of officer class alien. And the rest of them um, sort of are, are workers, let's say. And they, they do sort of say that, and that that's the way the movie plays out. And I think that's what it's supposed to be. That most of them, they're not, uh, you know, they're sentient, they're intelligent, but they're not the sharpest. They have certain limitations. Whereas Christopher basically has a 20-year plan to squeeze to take drops of fuel drop by drop to get out of there. And he's he's teaching his son. I mean, they they clearly have a level of sophistication the other aliens don't have. Right. And and that's even in the opening scene when they're looking for the technology that the guy who's with them can't tell the difference between human technology and prawn technology. Correct. Right, right. So they want to show the difference. And again, that's another way to do it without you know, without spoon feeding you. Um, oh, there's, this is another example of, of how Luke, terrible Lucas is. So Lucas spoon feeds you everything. Even when he spoon feeds you, like with the huge text crawler, you know, that the classic Star Wars sure. crawler at the beginning. Sure. Even when he spoon feeds you and he uses the text crawler, you read about one third into that and you can't understand what the hell is going on. <laughs> it's totally, I Trade mean, Federation. The whole thing is nonsense. It makes no sense. And it's, it's totally confusing and convoluted. And, I have at least a slightly better than average ability, a reading comprehension ability, right? I mean, if there's anything that I was good at from an early age, 
is reading comprehension, right? I, you know, I, I can't, uh, I can't draw. I, I'm half blind. I'm not an athlete. You know, Your spine I'm a is turning to powder. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm totally like, you know, there, I have, there are many things I'm way below average, right? But I, I'm pretty good at reading comprehension. Okay. I can't follow any of that crap. Even when he spoon feeds you something, it's totally incomprehensible. <laughs> That's like oh, the best God. monologue you've ever done for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, that was good. Uh, I mean, uh, this, this, I, I think you know that. This, but it, this it shows you that the audience so doesn't good. need much. The audience really needs very little. Like you, you know, you show, like you teach the audience by what they see. And like you know, we, we've obviously we've done we've done the Road Warrior. Uh, and like I, one of the things that I love about the Road Warrior or Mad Max Two, as they call it in Australia. Mm-hmm. Is you know like nothing is explained. Correct. Like, you don't have to. Like the audience will figure it out from the way things look and the way people act. Like like you don't need to do all of that. And again here and again most of the exposition here too is not so much to tell you the facts of the case. It's to tell you people's attitudes. They have to go. They need to leave. You know what I'm right. saying? Like 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 that little blurb from that guy who's hanging out his car window in that interview. Like that's more about tone than conveying information. Right. Right. Now you may have it noticed it's the very it's really subtle. And again, I had to watch this three times before I even picked up on it at all. But this movie's about race. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's this it is, you know, I think they might have been alluding to apartheid yeah, a little it, bit. Maybe, maybe. But I'm not so but sure. You, but you know, it's funny because, you know, for you and me, I think, well, I'm going to speak for, for me at least. You know, I was able to kind of you watch this movie. Me. I mean, I was able to watch this movie pretty much as a science fiction movie. And I was like, yeah, 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 I get it. It's about apartheid. But I mentioned earlier my South African friend, you know, like she took this movie very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she took this as the indictment of South Africa and apartheid that it was meant to be when made by it, when you know, made by a South African and viewed by a South African. So, you know, like for me, I walked out of it mostly focused on, you know, the effects and the innovation and the way that the story was told. And she walked out of it thinking like, this is how the world views South Africa. And this is how the world views, you know, the country I grew up in. Like mm-hmm. she had an extremely different reaction to it than I did. And I told her I was going to go back and see it again. And she was like, Oh, I could never see it again. It was too upsetting. And she wasn't upset by Christopher. She was upset by, you know, like, wow, this is how my home is viewed by the world. And, you know, she's, she's not someone who stood for apartheid. She's been here for whatever, 30, 40 years, but it was, it was a very painful thing for her to watch. Yeah. I, I didn't think that way. You know, obviously the, the, movie is critical but i can see how you could be sensitive not that it that it was a a movie that's critical of apartheid but just that it makes you wonder how what are what are south how are south africans seen and yeah and this is you know it's sort of like um you know the way that germany had to sort of work through world war ii you know in the holocaust like you know i imagine that south africa is still dealing with the ramifications of um, you know, apartheid. Sure. I mean, they, they have huge problems still. Um, 
You know, I mentioned earlier the element of body horror, which kind of got me thinking about uh, Cronenberg, you know, who I kind of think exemplifies body horror. And, you know, there's more than a little bit of Cronenberg's The Fly in this, like the way that mm. Seth Brundle turns into The Fly, right? right. There's all is echoed very, very strongly in this. Mm-hmm. You know, and Vickis yeah. sort of like, le- like Seth Brundle has to sort of like watch helplessly, right, as he transformed into something that horrifies him. Yeah, and it's it's a big part of the the story. It's a big part of his experience and the viewpoint of uh, the viewer too. Is 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 the, his transformation? Right. Although in the fly, Seth Brundle becomes less human as the movie goes on. Like he really does become a fly. Like there's that scene at the end where he dissolves the guy's foot off. I don't know if you remember that. Um, you know, like he really becomes like a monster. Whereas in this. You know, the opposite happens, which is, I guess, is a clever way to sort of invert it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I'd be curious to see what he does next. Like, he's making these shorts. And, like, for example, if you watch – um, what was it called again? I forgot. Is it like Wildfire or Live Fire? Firebase, Firebase um, you said. Firebase, yeah. If you, I mean, if you watch Firebase, like, it was not cheap. Hmm. You know, and it just looks like they're just being uh, released to the web. So, you know, like, I'll be curious what his next outing is. I'm trying to think of other directors who had one big movie and then, you know, couldn't follow it up. I don't know. Oh, there's got to be a ton. I just Well, I'm sure that here I'm Googling really quick um, IMDb one-hit wonder directors. Um M. Night Shyamalan, I would have to go with that one. Roland yeah. Emmerich, you know. John Singleton, yeah. Yeah, there's a few. Sofia yeah. Coppola. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a few. I guess there's definitely a few there. But, you know, uh, oh, my God, Neil Blomkamp is there. There he is on the list. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Here's a quote from the IMDb page on One Hit Wonder Directors about Blomkamp. I get a feeling he won't be able to do something else that great again. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, um, Shalto, what's his name? Copley? Mm-hmm. He's been in a couple of movies since, although I don't know if he's really catching catching fire or not. You know, I mean, I've seen him. He's in Elysium. He's in, I believe he's in Europa Report. Um, um, and he's been in a few other movies. I think he was even in the A-Team, believe it or not. Yeah, he played um, Murdoch in the A-Team in 2010. The well, you know, he's movie. still acting. It looks like he's actually got some mm-hmm. stuff going on, although he's doing some shorts, too. Uh, yeah, he, so he's in Chappie. He's in Elysium. So, you know, he keeps getting cast. Uh, by Blomkamp, but I don't know. The question is, you know, can he, does he have enough gravitas? I mean, he's a, you know, a likable enough actor, but does he have enough breadth, you know, to carry off more than this? Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Definitely a good movie, though. I, I remember my father really liked it. Like, my dad used to talk about District 9 a lot. Like, definitely, he it made a big impression on him. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me... I mean, I really, in terms of really good sci-fi movies, they don't come around very often. No, I and mean, I, this was definitely the big, I thought this was the, definitely the best sci-fi movie that year, at least. Oh, I think it's for many years. I mean, you've got uh, Live, Die, Repeat, or whatever the terminology 
after that oh, movie. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, right? That was pretty good. We, you know, we've talked about it. And, uh, well, I mean, I, I think that there have been half a dozen really, really great sci fi movies since since uh this movie but i think i mean it definitely it stands out and it makes a lot of like if you look at sort of like you know top sci-fi movies of the past you know of this this century or the last 50 years uh i don't know it always makes the list i think it's way up there i gotta say i think the movie it has impact it it tells a story in a way and has an impact that most Movies, let alone science fiction movies, cannot pull off. Well, and like, I think I think I think it's yeah. I really, mean, like really when good. I'm thinking, like I thought Edge of Tomorrow was great. I really like Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I do too. I think this one's even better because I think Edge of Tomorrow is so much fun and so beautifully made. I, I I really like Edge of Tomorrow. I think it's it's one of the. I think it's a great one. I think it's one of the best ones. That's that's why I mentioned that. I'm thinking, you know, what are the ones yeah, that I, I really I mean, remember? I, I think Edge of Tomorrow, I, I enjoyed it more. I had a little more fun watching it. Yeah, it's um, lighter. Yeah. Um, I personally didn't love it, but I think a lot of people would put Ex Machina very high on the list of, you know, best sci-fi movies. Let's say, let's say since the year 2000, right? I mean, I think clearly Avatar would be up there. Um I think Minority Report. I would, you know, what I would put really high on the list of best sci-fi movies since the millennia is Gravity. Like I, I thought Gravity was tremendous. Did you ever see it? I saw it. I just can't Gravity, really remember. I, it. Gravity made a huge impression yes. on me. Just a huge impression on me. Um, like Gravity made me mad because <laughs> I, I thought, man, I would have loved to have made that movie. I, Moon. Did you ever see Moon? No. I'm just trying to think, like, what really kind of floated my... Like, I thought Moon was great. We should do Moon. If you haven't seen Moon, we should really do Moon. Or Her. Did you ever see Her? Yeah, Her was good. Her was interesting. Um, Her was interesting. Yes. So, I mean, like, that's just sort of me off the top of my head thinking of, you know, four or five movies that I thought were at least as good as as good as good District 9. <laughs> I don't know. I think this this one to me. I think her is quite interesting, and, and Edge of Tomorrow, and this one. Yeah, those, Edge those Tomorrow, I really liked Edge of Tomorrow. We should resurrect our Edge of Tomorrow podcast because I, I don't know if that's a fi- an official one or not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think None it is. Them, we they're should, all we unofficial. Should... No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know, but let's see what he does next. You know, it's interesting. Just I, I want to make this point. Um, uh, you know, you and I are old, <laughs> as I always like to talk about. Um, and, like, I bet a lot of people went to Elysium and didn't realize that it's, it's you know, uh, the cloud minders. And, like, for example, have you seen The Purge? No. So the purge, there's now, I think there's three of them now, but the purge is um, basically the return of the archons. Like it's basically a remake of the Star Trek episode, the return of the archons. And, you know, the average person who went and saw the, the purge had no idea that that was almost every key concept in that is contained in one Star Trek episode. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like it makes me wonder, like, what did you and I watch as kids that was recycled and we thought was new, but it really wasn't. And remember, the return of the archons is the will of Landrew. Remember right. that? 
Yeah, yeah. But you know the idea, but the same idea that there's sort of like everybody, the society is super or, or ordered, and then there's a time period where all laws are suspended, and you can rape and pillage and murder as much as you want, and it's okay. Right. That's basically what the purge is about, which is basically the key conceit in Return of the Archons. But you know, it's just sort of interesting that we're starting to see these. I, you and I have lived long enough that we're seeing these ideas from twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years ago, recycled and repackaged, but essentially unchanged. Uh, but heralded as something new. You are not of the body. <laughs> I think that's a line from Return of the Archons. Yep. Um, I don't know. Well, definitely a good pick. This is definitely a good pick. I was, you know, it was funny because when you initially picked it, I was like, oh, wow, I haven't thought about, I haven't thought about District 9 in a long time. And it was very, very good to rewatch it. It goes very quick. Like you kind of blink and it's over. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very well made and very well paced. So, Chappie was ne- not well paced. No, Chappie. I'm literally like cringing here thinking about Chappie. I gotta, wa- I gotta force myself to watch again. I found it very difficult, but also sort of interesting. That woman's haircut alone turned me off. Um, she, I mean, God, they were tough to watch, <laughs> all of them. So our next movie is also filmed in South Africa. So next time we're gonna do a huge favorite of mine. Honestly, you want to talk about some of the. Best one of the best sci-fi slash action movies of the past ten years, Dread. Next time mm-hmm. we're gonna do Dread. Have you seen Dread? Yeah, I saw it once. For, on yeah, your Dread is. I think about Dread a lot. Like Dread is. A, we'll get to it next time. But I think Dread was really better than it had any right to be. Like they really kind of they surpassed themselves. There's all sorts of rumors that it'll be a TV show, but we'll talk about that next time. But that's well, uh, that I believe is also filmed in South Africa. Well, you know, TV show. Look at uh, there's a lot of attention look for guys looking for properties on from Amazon, from Netflix, Hulu, AMC. I just started Hulu. watching. Uh, I just started watching The Handmaid's Tale. Um, you know, which is made by Hulu. You know, like Hulu put together a pretty high level production with some real names in it. So it's sort of interesting to see like the way TV is going. You know, they were saying that um, box office receipts are down 16, I believe it's 16% this year. And I got to tell you, like we have Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu, and we don't pay mm-hmm. a lot for them. Yeah, and, me too. You know, like a movie's got to be pretty good in 2017 before you will get in your car, park, drive to the theater, and spend 25 bucks for a ticket, a corn, and a drink. You know, well, 25 bucks is, you know, that's my Netflix and my Hulu combined for a million movies and shows. Yep. And it's even, you're even less likely to go because there's nothing to watch because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because all the movies are made for 12 and 13 year olds who want to go out to get away from their parents and go out together. <laughs> And they want to go to the theater, so they go to As go see. As the father see. of kids in that age range, I can attest that it's still true. Of course. Um, I've officially become uncool. Well, I would want to get away from us, too. But <laughs> but if you're, if you're 13, you know, listen, when we were 13, we would have been going to see Transformers 8, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I think I made this comment before. Like when we were little, we were so non-selective, you know, like Last really? Starfighter, that was great. Black Hole, that was great. You know what I'm saying? Like Black uh-huh. Blade Runner, that was great. Like like with rare exceptions, like it all just kind of went, you know, it was all grist for the mill, you know, like if it had a spaceship or a robot or an alien in it, we were there. 
Yeah, I'll I'll defend us a little bit by saying that we did think Blade Runner was in its own category. Yeah, and we said that in our Blade Runner cast, but right. But that having been said, I you know like you were you know I I distinctly remember you pumping your fist in the air at the end of the last Starfighter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget uh, what was the uh, Blue Thunder, right? Which we loved at Firefox. Blue Thunder, the classic example, (laughs) right? Right. Of you and I loving a movie that, in retrospect, was pretty awful. Two words: Blue Thunder, and the helicopter doing a loop. (laughs) Yeah, not really, but (laughs) oh, somewhere Roy Scheider's spinning in his grave. He's oh, mixing God. up a martini right now. <laughs> no, no, he's dead. <laughs> he would be mixing up martini. Uh, Him too? Good Lord. Oh, no, Roy Scheider's dead. No, Roy Scheider died. All right, should we wrap? Let's. All right, good Until pick this week, time. but uh, interesting. A lot to say there. Yeah. All right, next week, Dread. Next week, we're back to South Africa for Dread. Not to be confused with Judge Dread. We're doing Dread. See you next time.